Everything is too hard for God. And this is the place where we remember that and remind each other of that. And even in the face of this, the madness that we find ourselves surrounded by and sometimes swallowed up by and seems like overwhelmed by, that it's not too much for God. And we welcome him to meet each one of us, each one of you, right where you sit in your space today. May God meet you there, bless you there, and free you there. And we've already mentioned that it's Memorial Day weekend in the United States of America. And so we pray for our nation in need as well as we say thank you, God, for those who gave the last full measure of their devotion in the service of freedom. And we remember today that freedom lives because warriors serve. And we're so grateful for that. But Jesus also spoke of sacrifice and service. And he would say to people like us, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. The only reason that anybody would take up a cross in the first century was to die on it. So Jesus was giving the challenge to, in the face of death, show up for the cause that is worth it. And of course, this kingdom advance is that cause. And so I would like to invite Pastor Ryan Reed to join me for just a moment this morning as I begin. Uh, that I can acknowledge to you as our church family the fruit of discipline that, Ryan, you have been applying yourself to for some time now that has now come to fruition as you have completed the requirements for the Doctor of Ministry degree from Duke University. And we want to acknowledge that today. You know, I mentioned earlier in the earlier service that I didn't know if I was going to share this thought, but then when I saw people standing and clapping, I thought, I got to tell you, everything I just said, I really loved except the part about Duke University. Um, <laughs> my daughter is a graduate of Chapel Hill, uh, UNC, and so, you know, we tend to not always mention that other school that I mentioned a moment ago. Now, all kidding aside, we are so happy, I'm so proud, I'm so excited for us to share today the gift that God has given us in Ryan, but also the gift that you are giving us in this achievement of being hooded as a doctor of ministry. And um, what you will learn in, uh, as this thing unfolds in the future is that the focus of his research and discipline was on fatherhood and remedying the fatherhood crisis, you know, trying to help us identify. So I want to charge you and challenge you to bring the fruit of that research into nuestra familia aquí Amen. so that we can benefit from the strength of uh, stronger marriages, stronger families, and then building a stronger future. And to that end, I just have a token that um, it's a, a wooden... Uh, container with a uh, with a pen in it. This is like old school. Do you know what these are? 
Okay. Um, and it's, it's got on it, Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11, and it is a prayer that we make for you today, Ryan. Um, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified. 2 Thessalonians 1.11. God bless you. We're so proud of you and thankful for you. Amen. And, and since we've got a new doctor in the house, if you're wondering if he could prescribe something for that back of yours, then, but be careful, you know, be, be careful. Anyway, God bless you, Ryan. Very happy for you and for us. Um, but speaking of doctoring, you know, there's a big difference between knowing what your problem is and knowing what to do to fix it. Is that right? Big difference between diagnosis and solution or treatment. Now, the first part, most of us think we're pretty good at doing. You know, we can help us identify what the problem is. But the second part, how to fix it. This is God's territory that we're entering into today. You remember the nursery rhyme, Humpty Dumpty? Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, and all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Every step that we have taken so far in our Jesus, Jesus Gets Us 12-step series is to help us acknowledge that the same thing is true about us, that we have a problem, and that we, you, me, <laughs> we're right in the middle of that problem, and some of our eggs are cracked, and they're scrambled, and what we start discovering is, you know what, you can't unscramble eggs, that, okay, if there's the problem, then what's the solution? And how do we get there from here? You get rid of one bag of snakes, and then another bag of snakes shows up. And there's, it's like no one, no matter how well-intentioned, no good soul, well-studied, knows exactly what to do to finally fix it for us. And so if you've ever found yourself in that situation, step seven is a good news step for when we find ourselves there. And do you know why I can say that today? Because what the king's men can't do and the king's horses can't do, the king still can. And we're trusting that Jesus as our savior king can do that with our shortcomings. Here's how step sevens is stated in the 12-step the program. We humbly ask God, to remove our shortcomings. Have you ever done that? I mean, can you point to a day and a time where you just said, God, help me. Help me. Have you ever asked God to just take the load, take my sins from me? That's the simplest way to state the truth of step seven. You know, when you have a toothache, where do you go? To the dentist. When you have a tumor, where do you go? Well, you find a surgeon to let him get inside and try to deal with it. When you have defects of character that start showing up, what do you do? Where do you go? When it becomes plain, finally. Perhaps it's others have been seeing it and feeling it, but now it's like right there in your face. Well, you go to God. That's what step seven says. You don't have to pretend that it's not real. You don't have to, uh, to uh, cover it up. 
by, uh, for appearance sake so that others won't see it so clearly. You don't have to roll your sleeves up or go to work on yourself or buy the latest self-help book and, uh, and resolve to do better only to fail again and again. Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me. Why? Because I wasn't big enough or strong enough or smart enough to fix it myself. Now, I wanted to be. <laughs> I want to be smart. I want to be strong. I want to be big enough. But I've just proven to myself time and again that that's not the real story when it comes to certain areas of my life. It's like what Paul said in Romans chapter 7. I know that nothing good lives in me in my sinful nature. I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. And the good that I want to do, I don't do that. And the evil that I don't want to do, then I just keep doing. So, I think most of us have the ability, I know I do, that I can clean up the outside for a while, but I have difficulty getting to the source. Clean up the symptoms, tough to deal with the source. And I'm wondering if that sounds familiar to anybody besides me. And we're reminded of that truth once again in step seven, just like we've been reminded step one again and again, that we are powerless when it comes to facing our own sin problem. Sin just means we're not measuring up to expectation. And then it becomes apparent to us that that's not happening, and then it becomes like whatever the manifestation, that this must be beyond my management capability. I want to believe that I can handle it, but I can't fix it. Can't fix it through willpower. Can't fix it through won't power. Do you know what won't power is? That's when you say no and are actually able to mean it. I'm not going to do that again. And then you don't. But won't power can't fix all those things, can it? Or human intellect, if I could just figure this out. Albert Einstein said the real problem's in the hearts and minds of men. It's not a problem of physics. It's a problem of ethics. It's easier to denature plutonium than to denature the evil spirit of man. Now, I do not know how to denature plutonium. <laughs> but what I do know is this Jesus gets us gospel series is about denaturing the darkness in the human spirit. Stepping out of denial and into the light and saying that I've got the problem here. You know, my eggs got cracked. There's something scrambled here. And I'm not sorting it out by myself. But the challenge of a series like this is it's saying that you're going to start with the person in the mirror. You know, I'm not going to say, you know, my life would be a lot better if you would just change her. Change him. And what we're daring to say in this is that God will say, no, your life would be a lot better if you'd let me change you. Let's just start with you and take steps there for spiritual freedom, which we are saying we can do boldly in our Christ journey. Why? Because Jesus gets us. What a wonderful thing. Let's say it together, could we? Jesus gets us. That's like the heart of this. God gets us in Christ, and his power is available, and it's a power that is greater than ourselves, an intellect that is greater than ourselves, and he can restore us. And the reason he can is because he's got a jackhammer that can get beneath the surface 
and take on the barnacles of fear and pride and greed and lust and anger and treachery and deceit and all the other things that like attach themselves to our personalities, how do we get those things removed from our lives? I mean, where, where can you go for deeper than cosmetic surgery? We talked about cosmetic surgery last time we were together. But when you really want to deal with the deep stuff, where do you go? Uh, the gospel says, for surgery of the soul and spirit, you go to the cross of Jesus Christ. That God's got the power, that the power is a person, and that God's jackhammer is Jesus, and what he accomplished at the cross on your behalf, dying as God, fully clothed in humanity. I mean, imagine this for a second. That's the whole reason why God took on a human body. Yes, so that he could model humanity for us, but so that he could die in our place, that he could die. God can't die, so he takes on a human body so he can bleed and die and then set us free. In his dying, he bears the full weight and brunt of the toxicity of all of human sinfulness, and then he breaks fallen human nature in the mystery of the atonement to loose sin's death grip on us forever. That's like the heart of the gospel, right? And so our liberation can be accomplished through the cross on two fronts. We need two things to happen. Number one, our defects... Our character flaws, our sins need to be cleansed and forgiven. We need to be forgiven, freed from that penalty. And then secondly, we need our sinful nature needs to be nullified. It needs to be stifled. It needs to be stopped. So think of it this way. Well, you know, the, the sins of our lives are like the pollution that gets spread, but the Sinful nature is like the factory that produces the pollution. And on the cross, the gospel declares that God has dealt with both of them. Or think of it this way, that you walk into a room and you see cobwebs in a room, you know two things right away. What do you know? Like you've walked into a hotel room and you see cobwebs in that room, what do you think? They haven't cleaned up in here for a while, right? Where somebody needs to come clean this mess up. So that's the first thing you know they haven't cleaned up. Second thing is what? Spider's been there. Where did those cobwebs come from? Where did the webs come from? They came from somewhere, right? And so, Scripture teaches us that sins in our lives are there for the same reason. We haven't cleaned up lately. And a sinister source has been producing them. Lying, cheating, stealing, I mean, the list goes on, right? Hurting other people. Now, imagine this. On the cross, Jesus Christ is like God's spiritual broom that he reaches into every corner of the human space room and takes all of the cobwebs onto himself, into himself. He does the cleanup job. That's the gospel message. To, to cleanse us from our sins, his blood was shed on the cross so his blood on the cross was like the broom cleaning the room for our shortcomings. But then his body was broken. We take communion. It's a cup of blood and a broken piece of bread. 
That brokenness in his body was to model for us that the effect of the spider responsible for sending them has, or spinning them has been broken. And so in Christ's death, God dealt with both the symptoms and the source of our problem. Now, we just have to ask the Lord to open our eyes to understand this because this is like the deep end of the theological pool and we don't really understand the full mystery of the atonement, but the declaration of it is what we're talking about because that's where the liberation can come. Say it this way. Maybe, I hope this has never happened to anybody, but you've walked into your bathroom and the tub is running over, the faucet is, the spigot is wide open and going strong and uh, water is everywhere. So think about it for a second. There's three things that need to be done. Right away, you know this, three things that need to be done. Number one, the mess on the floor's gotta be mopped up, maybe not priority order, but you see the floor's gotta be mopped up, the tub's gotta be drained, right? But what's the third one? Probably where you reach first. The faucet's gotta be turned off, right? Won't do much good to go get the mop and begin sopping up if you leave the faucet running. You deal with the source or the mopping will never end. You know what we're doing when we try to clean our own act up on our own? When we try to correct our defects without God, we're just mopping up the overflow and letting the faucet run. The stuff that other people see. You know, the overflow is usually when, when they get sloshed with all the junk that's in our tub that hasn't been drained lately because we're not cleaning up, we're just moving on. Meanwhile, the faucet's still running and we're not sure how to turn it off. And we don't know how to pull the plug, deal with it, drain all that junk in the tub without making a bigger mess. You know what we're talking about? This is a recipe for mental health disaster. We've been looking at how do we find peace of mind? How do we find mental health in a maddening world like this when we find ourselves right in the middle of the issue and what I'm about to share, I mean, you know the story, and this is good news that I'm about to share, but I'm praying that God will just help open our eyes a little wider and maybe focus a little clearer for what it means in a fresh way today. Because when Christ died on that cross, time and eternity intersected in a way beyond our understanding. And in the divine economy of the Spirit, God's infinite gift was offered in the finite gift of his son. God's incarnate blood was shed, atoning for our sins, and this is God's divine solution for mopping up the mess that we see around us spiritually in the world. And then draining the tub of all of our sins, all of our defects, all of the junk in our lives, the deceit, the lying, the hatred, the resentment, the inhumanities that we inflict on one another, the alcohol addiction, the substance abuse, the apathy, the neglect, the self-righteousness, the condescending, the perfectionism, you know, whatever form your particular defects have taken, um, every sin, every failure, every defect was covered in full before a holy God in the death of Christ on the cross. That's why we sing this song. My sin, not in part but the whole, was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul, 
It is well because he breaks the power of canceled sin. So every time we drink that cup of communion, we're saying, thank you, God, that you get me and that you've got me covered because you've covered me in all my sins. They're gone. My sin debt has been paid in full. So now, like Peter wrote about, 1 Peter chapter 2, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. That's what I've been talking about. So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Now that's the rest of the story that we need help in understanding. By his wounds we have been healed. Paid in full and now healing is available potentially. But it gets better. Romans chapter 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him. That factory has been nullified so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. And so this is why we take communion. We remember that in communion, his blood covers our sins and his body was broken so that the chains of our fallen sinful nature can be broken and we can step into our freedom by faith. Now, theologically, that's called sanctification. It takes a lifetime, and that's what discipleship is about. That's what we're really talking about in this series is finding God's freedom from the habits that would ensnare us and enslave us so that we can find freedom, full freedom in Christ. And the way we're saying that is Jesus has everything I need, so I ask God for help. I ask God for help. That's step seven, and it can happen to you. And there are two illustrations I want to show you from the gospel that perhaps will help us make it even more clear. Luke introduces us to two characters the first one, Luke chapter 23, verse 18. The crowd is shouting to Pilate, away with this man, talking about Jesus. Release Barabbas to us. Now, who was Barabbas? Barabbas was a convicted Jewish rebel. He was released by Pilate. He was replaced by Jesus. Barnabas, I mean, Barabbas was a criminal. He was convicted. He was sentenced to die by crucifixion on that Friday. He was on death row, and the cross Jesus took was the one meant for Barabbas. Matthew's gospel calls him a notorious prisoner. John's gospel calls him a robber. Mark's gospel said he was a political rebel who was guilty of murder. He's mentioned in every one of the gospels, and every time he's released. Why? Well, the people want him. They say, give us Barabbas. But the rest of the story is Jesus took his place. So if anyone could ever truly say, Jesus died in my place, it was Barabbas. Now some wonder if he was a member of the Sicarii, that uh, those were the dagger bearers. Carry a sharp dagger under their cloak, make their way through the crowd um, as a part of a violent, fanatical group of Jewish nationalists who were set to murder and assassinate in the name of patriotism. And the crowd that day before Pilate said, give us him, give us Barabbas. We want a man of violence and action who's ready to kill. But Jesus died in his place, just as he died in our place. And then the righteousness that he offered on our behalf was the step into fuller freedom, to full freedom, when we receive it by faith. Now Luke also introduces us to another face, literally around the cross. 
one who shows us how we can approach Jesus in the hope of life change. It's Luke chapter 23, verse 41. One of the thieves, you know, there were two thieves that Jesus died with. One of those being crucified was mocking him, but the other one shows this amazing self-awareness and humility that we can learn from. First, he admits his, uh, his problem. He's a lawbreaker. He's powerless. He says, you know what? We're being punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve. So it's like, I mean, these were his dying words. I don't know if you've ever thought what your last words are going to be, but these are his. You know, I'm here because of stuff I did, and I'm, the, I'm suffering the consequences of my own choice. I'm admitting that I'm powerless in facing that. The situation's unmanageable. There's no denying it. And that's where it begins for all of us. That's step one. That's also step seven. We admit our need, our spiritual failure. And then secondly, he treats us like, treats Jesus like Messiah King. A divine rescuer. I mean, it's just raw faith. It's bloody faith. He, his, he has faith in Jesus establishing his kingdom. Somehow, somewhere, I think you're a king. Remember me in your kingdom, he says to him. Instead of mocking him, he chooses faith. And then the third thing, that remember me, is a prayer of surrender in mercy. He makes no case for deserving anything. He didn't say, you know, I, I really was a great thief. You know, that should count for something. He doesn't make a case. He just says, I need mercy. And it's interesting sense of the verb. The verb is uh, imperfect. That means it, it just indicates a heartfelt persistence. He, the guy just won't stop. He says, you know, remember me. Oh, when you come into your kingdom, don't forget about me. Hey, remember me. I'm dependent upon you. If I'm going to get anywhere, it's going to be because of you. So don't forget me. I mean, I know I've got my problems. I know I'm here. By, I'm, I made the choices that brought these consequences. I'm not denying that. I'm admitting it fully. But if I'm going to find my way through this unmanageable situation, it's going to be because you remember me. So don't forget me, okay? I mean, he just doesn't. It's saying he's just not stopping. And what does Jesus say to him? Verse 43 literally says, amen. That's the Greek word. He just says, amen. Jesus looks at the guy on the cross who's saying, don't forget about me. He said, amen. Amen. I got gotcha. you. So be it. Today you're with me. I love that. Sin canceled, way opened, chains broken. They're not going to hold him back. Because Jesus has got him. I will endure this cross. I will not fail you. I am answering your prayer. And you won't have to wait to be remembered because I'm taking you to paradise with me today. Amazing. Jesus gets us wherever we are in our self-awareness. But if you want to see him come through for you, see, he gets us. But have you gotten his freedom yet? That's the real question here, isn't it? He gets you. God has already done what it takes to cover all of the sins and to break the power of canceled sin so that you're not enslaved to it anymore. So have you gotten him? Because if you want to get breakthrough, you got to see what that thief just taught us because that's how it happens. Or maybe we could learn something simply by listening 
to Alejandro and Charity as they share their story. Hey, I'm Alejandro and this is Charity and we are the Benicourts. So I was pretty young um, when I was originally exposed to um, sexualized content. Um, as a only child and a little bit of a socially awkward kid, I spent a lot of time on the internet and I found myself um, being drawn to certain types of content that uh, established um, really unhealthy habits for me. I had like the opinion that once we got married, it was just gonna go away, but it just started to take hold of our intimacy, our, our closeness, and ultimately uh, dissolved all trust that we had as a, as a couple. A little bit of my backstory, um, I'm the oldest sister of four, and I spent my whole life taking care of people. Like, and so it was natural for me, it, it felt like a natural role for me to take on of like, here's someone that I can help, this is my purpose in life. For the first four years of our marriage, his addiction and my codependent like enabling patterns just completely got the best of us. And before we knew it, the best parts of our marriage and the best parts of our relationship were eroded to the point where you couldn't see them anymore. So during all this time, I'm feeling just ultimate hopelessness. I feel like none of the answers are there. I, I know what I want, like I want peace. I want us to be just back how things were when things are just like in that honeymoon phase. I wanted to be healthy, I wanted to be free, but kept on being pulled back as a slave to my childhood trauma of this. I was at a prayer night and afterwards I was talking with a gentleman and he self-identified with exactly what I was going through, almost to the T and invited me to celebrate recovery. So I started joining that group every Tuesday night. Um, I would show up, even if I didn't know what to say, even if I didn't know it, but I was finding for the first time in my life, I was getting answers. And the answer was Jesus. <laughs> it sounds so cliche, but it was like realizing that I no longer have to do it all by myself, that it is not it, I was setting myself up for failure every time that I thought I could do it on my own volition. I need to give it to God. All through this time, like when we were going through what we were going through, I felt like I couldn't invite God into that space um, because it was either too dark or I was afraid of what he would say. I was afraid of letting go of control of my marriage, of my own actions my own desires. I found, and I didn't know we could experience like true intimacy ever again. Going through this process, like I rediscovered intimacy better than I ever had before. Uh, and I can say that since that season, like we've experienced other trials. We experienced COVID together. We experienced immense um, personal trials, um, personally, health-wise and work-wise. And all of these things, we just had more strength through it now, not because we were relying on our own selves, but at this point, like we have finally interwoven the third strand into our cord. Uh, and we were experiencing it through that. During that year that we were separated, 
I, I was, my eyes were open to the things in me that weren't okay that allowed us to get to that point. Because what I had to learn was that it really always takes two, always. It's never all on one person. And the best way to find a resolution is to find what it is that you did that could have been better. And, and there were a lot of things I could have done better. And so, um, but, Me too. but every, everything was worth it because ultimately I really believe that there was no way that we would ever be healthy. Um, and I can't even say healthy again because we weren't even that healthy, even at the best moments. And so I just did not have that hope. But because of what God was able to do for us, because truly Alejandro is the man that I love more than anything. And for a second there, I was like, I never want to see his face again. But but when, when we were back together, I'm just, God gave us a joy that I can't explain. I still need to take to God, you know, daily, you know, my, my, my struggles, um, no matter how big or small they are. And um, it's, it's just a, it's, it's a beautiful journey. And, and all in all, like, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything, you know, where given, especially where we are now, but like, you know, the fact that I know that I, that God was with us through every step. We were never alone. There's a line in the song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It simply says this, through many dangers, toils and snares I have already come and it's grace that brought me safe this far grace will lead me home we live in a world of dangers and snares traps heart traps soul traps sex traps Pornography traps, addiction traps. And God is saying, in this world, I am here with grace and freedom to take you through the dangers, toils, and traps. Grace means that it's okay to not be okay when you're in Jesus' presence. And the thief shows us how to find our way to healing. We just say, I need help. I admit that I'm in a situation that's unmanageable. I can't get there by myself. Just say that, Lord, I need help. Secondly, I'm going to surrender my situation. I'm going to surrender myself. Jesus, remember me. Remember me. And then third, I'm trusting you to be my liberator, my rescuer, my healer. That prayer is going to help set somebody free right now. Would you pray with me? Is it you, brother, sister? You know that something has been speaking to you. It certainly hasn't been my voice. 
It's much deeper. It's much louder than that. The Holy Spirit is wanting to bring truth and grace and healing to you today. So would you lean into it? Just say, Lord, I'm listening. I'm listening. I admit that it's gotten way out, way beyond my control. I'm surrendering myself and my situation to you. And I'm trusting you as my liberator and my healer that by your wounds I will meet you at the wound and find healing. Or maybe for you today is the day that your spiritual journey should start in a personal way by coming to know Jesus as your Savior. You can invite him to do that for you right now. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive my sins. Fill me with your spirit as I turn from my way and learn to go your way by following you. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for giving me your salvation. Now, our heads are still bowed just for a moment, but if you prayed that prayer with me and would let me ask God's blessing upon your next steps of faith, would you simply raise your hand, hold it up for a moment, keep them up. If you're joining us online, please let us know so we can pray with you and for you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Right here in the middle, God bless you, sir. Thank you. God bless you. Over to my right, amen. Thank you right on the aisle. And then again here in the middle, thank you. God bless you. Lord, With for every uplifted hand signifying an open, hungry heart that has just trusted you, we pray that you would meet them with the peace that passes human understanding and the fresh joy of salvation that you have heard their prayer and are with them as we now take our next steps together. In your name I pray, amen.